Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, November 4th, we are studying Ezekiel chapter 35, verses 1 to 15. The Lord tells Ezekiel to set his face against Mount Seir in order to prophesy against it and ultimately against the people of Edom. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor A.J. Espinoza. Pastor Espinoza serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California. Pastor Espinoza, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Yeah, thanks for having me, Pastor Apple. It's been a little while. Looking forward to digging into this one. Yeah, glad to have you again. And looking at Ezekiel 35 today, not the most familiar text in the prophet Ezekiel or in the scriptures as a whole, but looking forward to digging into it with you. As we get started with this chapter, what should we know about the prophet, his ministry, and his immediate context here in the book that'll help us into chapter 35? Well, um, I don't. I don't know how much you got into kind of some of the the, the broader details, maybe last time. Um, but in terms of like the specific uh, context here, this is the second chapter in a series of um, chapters on these 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 little oracles. Like in chapter thirty four, it begins with uh, the word of the Lord came to me. And chapter thirty five begins exactly the same way: the word of the Lord came to me. Um, and, and then you, you get some very similar language um, in chapter 36. So these three chapters seem to kind of go together. Um, and there's just these, these series of, of judgment oracles where God's like, oh, look at these guys and prophesy against them. Now look at these guys and prophesy against them. So uh, you do have to read chapter 35 with the chapters that come um, right before and, and right after, um, or, else, or else you're going to get a a pretty skewed picture. And that, that's where it kind of gets, I think, to the kind of broader stuff that you're looking at. Um, Ezekiel as this, as this prophet who, uh, well, I, I mean, at least, at least this, this Oracle anyway, I mean, there's a little bit of a difference between like where the oracles are aimed and where the prophets necessarily kind of like lived and moved and, um, hung out. But th- this Oracle anyway, seems to be aimed at the, uh, the, the people following, the catastrophe that befell Judah and the destruction of Jerusalem. So you're looking at the people who are um, just, you know, it's kind of half of a country. It's only kind of sort of functioning. A lot of the infrastructure, a lot of the agriculture has been decimated. Um, A lot of the uh, population and a lot of, especially the um, aristocracy and the people who normally would know how to rule things and how to, run the show and make things happen. They're all deported um, off in Babylon. And so uh, you're, you're dealing with this just pretty uh, nasty situation here. And, uh, and God is, God is speaking into it, um, letting them know that uh, he has not forgotten about Israel and he is not going to let these injustices and this chaos go on forever. In terms of that, the connections that are there with 34 through 36, and this chapter being right in the middle of those, I want to talk a little bit more about that. What are the connections to 34 and 36 as well? Particularly, the reason I find that important is because this is spoken to Mount Seir, to Edom, as we will find out. Right. And it's 
you know, we came through a section in Ezekiel already, chapters 25 through 32, that were directed against foreign nations. There were seven of them. Edom was actually one of them in chapter 25. There were three verses directed against Edom already. Mm -hmm. And we've been saying, you know, generally speaking, the outline of the book of Ezekiel, you have chapters 1 through 24 that preaches law against the people of Israel. You've got chapters 25 through 32 that preach against the nations. And then chapters 33 through the end, chapter 48, generally speaking, are words of restoration of promise to the people of God. So yeah. I mean, a, a very classic law gospel sort of outline. And we've, and, and of course, you know, I mean, these outlines are, you, you come across them by reading the book itself. So there, it's not right. meant to be, you know, like it had to be that way or something like that. Right. But this chapter still seems maybe a little bit out of place because we've kind of already talked about the nations. We've talked about Edom already. So how does it fit into this larger section, not only 34 through 36, but really as a part of the, the restoration of God's people? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. And uh, yeah, the outline, I think, is helpful. I, I do think that these these chapters here are, I mean, very much gospel-oriented. Like I was saying, like, you know, this is God speaking into this this calamity, saying, I haven't forgotten my people. I'm not going to let these guys get away with this nonsense forever. I see all of this. Nothing's getting by me. Um, you know, I, I am going to, uh, you know, right these wrongs. Um, but so, I mean, that's just the thing, though, right? There's no gospel for Israel um, unless all the people who are getting in the way of their salvation and their peace and their prosperity are dealt with. So in chapter 34, um, you know, you have this prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. Well, I mean, that that's not so much against Israel so much as it is against the corrupt rulers who are abusing them and taking advantage of them, right? Like, you got to get rid of these guys who are... Uh, you know, selfishly running the show and manipulating the populace and just kind of feasting off uh, the the herd is is the imagery, the shepherd imagery, um, and, and put in some good faithful rulers. Um, you know, some guys like David. Um, and then in chapter thirty five, you've got Edom, and it will come to see here, especially following the exile and the destruction of Jerusalem. The issue is that Edom was just kind of the bad guy at this point because um, you know, the larger players were kind of preoccupied doing their thing, but you had uh, Edom just kicking Israel or you know, Judah uh, while they were down and just taking advantage of all the chaos that the Babylonians um, had wrought. And so uh, th this idea that, okay, well, if we're going to have peace and we're going to have prosperity, like we, we have to get, we have to stop getting raided for like, you know, like a month or something. So um, in chapter 35, it's just really kind of fleshing out like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to like stop uh, these guys who are just, you know, picking at the scab so that you guys can't heal. Um, and, and chapter 36 then fleshes it out more. Um, just the, the idea of uh, multiplying man and beast and being fruitful and multiplying and um, restoration um, and, and all these uh, good things. Mm. That's a very helpful way of looking at this section. And I'm going to paraphrase what you said, but essentially there's there's no gospel for Israel unless their enemies are dealt with. Yeah. And I, I think that's a, a helpful thing to keep in mind as we consider this chapter, which on the surface might seem out of place, but but if, if that is the case, and it is, then this, this chapter does fit in very well. And you, you kind of have this sort of back and forth, as you're saying, you know, in chapter 34, 
there's the faithless leaders of the people that need to be dealt with. And then the Lord comes in, here's the restoration. He's yeah. going to be the good shepherd. Right Here you've got Mount Seir in chapter 35 that needs to be dealt with so that in chapter 36, the mountains of Israel are going to be restored. And then, you know, later in chapter 36, there's going to be the, the people's own defiling of themselves through idolatry. And so the Lord's got to deal with that by giving them a, a new heart, a heart of flesh. And so, I mean, I, I really do I mm-hmm. appreciate the way you're laying this out, because I think you you see how these three chapters do go together. And it, it does put this chapter, which maybe stands out a little bit more among some of those more familiar texts. I think chapter 34 and at least the end of 36 are maybe a bit more familiar to us, whereas yeah. 35, sometimes we skip over. But I'm looking forward to reading it now, because I, I really think it's going to help the the full picture that Ezekiel is giving us here. In terms of some of just the background, you've already mentioned Edom and what we're going to see here, what was going on at the time that Ezekiel's living. What's some of the just biblical background about who Edom is and their general history with the people of Israel that might be helpful as we consider the particular situation Ezekiel's speaking to in chapter 35? Yeah, and it's pretty important to consider. Um, I mean, both um, in terms of just even the the designation Mount Seir um, and also in terms of some of the particular language and the reasoning here, like in verse five, we're going to see the phrase perpetual enmity, right? And so it's, it's like, hang on, what, what, what's the perpetual part of this, right? Well, it's it's playing on all this history. And so you got to go back, um, you know, Mount Seir uh, here in chapter 35. This is uh, basically a figure for, for Esau. Um, and then earlier um, in 34, you had, um, you know, the mountains of Israel. And so you've got Jacob. So it's, it's going back to Jacob and Esau. Um, and, and so there's a, there's a Hebrew uh, pun with, uh, with Seir and uh, the, the word for uh, and, and Esau and, and then the word for a uh, hair, which goes back to that story about how Esau came out uh, hairy, but Jacob was smooth or something like this. Uh, there's lots of these little like, um, you know, kind of puns and poetic connections in that story. But yeah, I mean, in that story, um, you know, God decides to bless the younger son instead of the older son. Uh, this causes a huge rift, or, or at least the way that it shakes out ends up causing a huge rift between them. Um, there's this estrangement where Jacob has to live uh, as an exile uh, for a long time, you know, so there's something that's kind of interesting, um, you know, similarity to the historical context here. Um, and then he, he finally comes back and there is a reconciliation that occurs between, uh, Jacob and Esau. Uh, even though there was fear, there's finally a reconciliation in the end, you know, the, the, the brothers hug each other and, um, you know, they don't kill each other. Um, but sadly that's, that's not how it goes here um you know and I, I think that there's kind of this idea if you know the jacob and esau sorry that it's supposed to go that way <laughs> that like this should be the time where like okay guys like you know we've we've both seen how nasty like the babylonians are and all these other guys like you know time to like kind of let bygones be got bygones and kind of let the brothers you know reunite here um but that's not how it goes um you know, Esau is is not reconciling here. Um, there is no hug of peace, uh, kiss of peace. Uh, it's it's the sword instead, perpetual enmity. And well, and I mean, I think when you look at not only the history of Jacob and Esau, the individuals, but then again, their descendants from 
the time that Jacob and Esau were living all the way to where we are in the book of Ezekiel, there are plenty of examples throughout history that showed these two groups of people at war fighting with each other in one way or another. Oh, right. I mean, they were next door neighbors, which just means they're always fighting. Um, <laughs> it's like it's like two kids in the back seat who are sitting next to each other, right? You know, it's like if one's on the on one window seat, one's in the other window seat, well, they're too far, right? And so they don't poke each other. But, you know, the one in the middle seat, like, you know, it's just that's that's how it goes, right? And so in the ancient, uh, especially in like, the, you know, the ancient world, it's like if you're if you're right next door neighbors, because there's no like map, there's no like, you know, you know gps or something like that so like the borders are like they, they move every year kind of like mm. you know like where where the football team like takes possession after kickoff uh every set of downs <laughs> like okay. like you know so it's they're constantly renegotiating uh the boundaries and borders and the terms of of treaties and stuff uh basically just every year with constant warfare Sure. I mean, the matter of where the boundaries are and who the land belongs to is going to come up in this chapter. Yep. That's part of what's going on with Edom in the aftermath of the Babylonian conquest of, of Judah. Any more introductory material for chapter 35 before we jump into the text? Oh, let's, let's go ahead and dig into it. All right. So this is Ezekiel chapter 35, beginning at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it and say to it, thus says the Lord God. Behold, I am against you, Mount Seir, and I will stretch out my hand against you, and I will make you a desolation and a waste. I will lay your cities waste, and you shall become a desolation, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Because you cherished perpetual enmity and gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, at the time of their final punishment, therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will prepare you for blood, and blood shall pursue you. Because you did not hate bloodshed, therefore blood shall pursue you. I will make Mount Seir a waste and a desolation, and I will cut off from it all who come and go. And I will fill its mountains with the slain. On your hills, and in your valleys, and in all your ravines, those slain with the sword shall fall. I will make you a perpetual desolation, and your cities shall not be inhabited. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I think I'll pause there, Pastor Espinoza. So that was through verse 9 of the text. First of all, just, you know, the Lord tells Ezekiel, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it. Now, we, we do know that this is Edom. We're going to hear Edom specifically in verse 15 when we come to it. But is there a significance to prophesying against Mount Seir as opposed to prophesying against Edom? I think so. I, th I think it's... Uh... It's language that's meant to conjure up the idea of of competing gods. Um, you know, the mountains are seen as locations where uh, heaven and earth meet, right? Um, they're kind of like portals, and um, you, you see, uh, especially in this part of the world, um, when like weather would develop and stuff, it seems like the storm rolls down from the mountain. So you see these storm clouds gathering, um, kind of out of nowhere, and then it comes down. Uh, to, to the lowlands. And so that idea, that imagery of kind of like God is coming down the mountain and you, you have, you know, so obviously you've got Mount Zion, um, which is, you know, the place of, of God, of Yahweh, um, as it says there in verse four, and then again in verse nine, and this is key, right? Then you will know that I am the Lord. Um, 
it, it seems to be this this language of okay, let you guys think you know that what that, I mean. There, there's just some kind of minor god um, in in Israel, or you know, the god there is not very strong, or that you guys can just trounce um, all over this place. Uh, no, you, you will know that there there is a god here, and in fact, we're talking about the the Almighty God, and then uh, your God and gods um, that you favor and worship on Mount Seir, the the one who or the ones who who live up on Seir, um, they're not going to be able to stop me. They're not going to be able to help you because you've uh, you, you've you've transgressed, and that's that's pretty interesting here. That it's not a simple like, well, I don't know, your God is puny and my God is strong. <laughs> you think of a that scene in like uh, the original Avengers movie where. Uh, the Hulk like smashes yeah. Loki and is like puny God. Um, like it, it's not, it's not that, um, you know, there's, there's this explanation. It's like you, you guys are being cruel. You guys are unjust. And you, you see that, like, I'm going to make you a perpetual desolation because you chose perpetual enmity. And, and, and so it's, um, it's, so it, it's interesting. I mean, it, it is this, this God, God versus God kind of language, but um, the, the God of Israel is uh, is a just God who's giving them their just desserts. Well, that's that certainly comes through the matter of of God being just and giving just desserts. How, and we I think we're going to see this several times in this text where the the crime or no the punishment fits the crime that that the Lord gives to the people of Edom according to what they did. And, and I mean, I think some of the things you're bringing out already, when they did something to the people of Israel, they weren't just attacking Israel or mocking Israel. They were actually attacking or mocking the Lord. And so the Lord is going to return to them what they've done. And I think the, you know, the matter of making a perpetual desolation in verse nine does fit with the perpetual enmity very well in verse five. You, you mentioned the perpetual enmity already. We've talked a little bit about the, some of the history, but dig into that phrase a little bit more that they cherish this perpetual enmity. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting phrase. Like you, you, uh, cherish, right. Um, I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it's a poetic language what you have here like in verses like th- uh like three and four um and then like especially there in uh in, in verses like uh like around like seven eight and nine like there, there seems to be some kind of like uh meter that you can even uh pick up on and, and you get lots of like kind of interesting clever reversals with words like you know desolation and, and waste that get repeated um but 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 here in verse five you kind of get um and, and even also in verse six kind of this more expansive like explanation and so it seems like maybe the language is like a little more um it may maybe like a little more deliberate um in, in terms of kind of like uh describing like, like like what exactly the offense is and so i mean i i think the idea is that um, you, you know, there, there should be like this kind of like brotherly love on some level between Jacob and Esau, right? Like they, they, they should, it's, it's like, there is this ex, expectation as you see this in the prophets that the nations are supposed to like come around, right. And say, you know, 
you know, we, we've been at war for a long time, but now we see that the God of Israel is, is the true God. Like, let's go worship Yahweh. And they, they come to the mountain of Zion and all worship together. Like there is this idea and this hope that, you know, eventually we're going to get there. Um, but they just, they just cling to fighting. They just, they just can't put down their swords. They just won't give it up. Um, and, and so I, I think that, it's interesting because like verse five is saying like, it's just, it, it's not even that like the, you know, God's like, Hey, you, you messed with the wrong God today. And so I'm going to, you know, just wreck you guys for all time. Uh, no, it's like, they would not stop this. Like you were saying, there's this long history and this is just the, the latest in a long string of uh, bloodshed. So it's just, it, it's the, it's the wanton um, and just, just, I don't know, re recalcitrant, uh, uh, cherishing of bloodshed. It's like the way you guys are sticking with this, it, it's like you love it or something. Yeah, it, that's definitely the picture that's there of, of you know, cherishing enmity, continuing to, to hurt the people of Israel, particularly when they're down, kicking them when yeah. they're down. I mean, that's, that's historically Edom, and we, we've seen this like in the book of Obadiah and in other places where when Edom does get singled out, this, this time period, what they did to the people of Israel, Judah, after the Babylonian conquest, they get, they get called out for it multiple places. With the, with the phrase perpetual enmity here, and I mean, I, I certainly think, you know, this history uh, all going all the way back to Jacob and Esau, and then what happens to the, the nations that come from each of those men, certainly that's, that's in view. But I, I wonder if the, the perpetual enmity, if we could even go a little bit farther than that back in history and, and go back to the enmity that was between the serpent, between the devil, and between the seed of the woman that the Lord speaks of in Genesis 3. And, yeah. and part of the reason I, I, I want to make that move, at least contextually, is that, you know, you go back to chapter 34, and you see how the Lord speaks about the, the faithless shepherds of, of Israel, and then he comes, and he's the shepherd, and he talks about setting his servant David over them. And, and you get this sense there in Ezekiel 34 that the Lord has a lot more in mind than just what happens in the return from exile, you know, that he's looking forward to what's going to happen with Jesus in his incarnation, and then even Jesus in his, his return on the last day. There's a, you know, these chapters of Ezekiel have a, you know, an end times view, uh, such that when I think about the perpetual enmity that's spoken about here, I, I mean, I wonder if there's more going on than just the battle between Esau and Jacob, but, but even that what the Lord is saying here to Edom is like, not only have you, you you're siding against me and my people, which means you're actually throwing in your lot with the old evil foe. That's whose side you've chosen to be on. I don't know. That, what do you think, Pastor Espinosa? Well, um, I, I think that, I, I mean, I, I think that that might be like, um, like a little bit anticipated here. Um, I mean, I, I think that certainly, though, all, all that imagery that you were describing uh, that gets picked up in a big way in Revelation, right? Because we we know that there's this uh, well in, in the description there um, in in chapter twelve, it, he's he's called uh, the, the great dragon, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, deceiver of the whole world. Um, so you have that like kind of like that ancient serpent idea, that kind of the, the age old enemy, and before that, it, he's described as a, a great red dragon, which 
so that, that's yeah. the thing. Edom is is a word for for red. Um, and and so chapter twelve of of Revelation does seem to have a little bit of this idea of, um, well, and maybe not even just like a little bit. Um, but uh, because I mean, really, there there was in, in fact a, an Edom. Uh, an Edomite oppression in a sense, um, because the, the king who uh, was no true king, the, the Herods, I mean, the, the, it was an Edomite dynasty that had taken over Judah at the time. So, I mean, it was just kind of the latest um, string of, uh, again, kind of just this, this wanton um, cruelty uh, that the Herods were perpetrating against the people of God. So, yeah, I mean, like, you, you do have this this sense that the way that Edom just keeps coming up and doing this and gets, you know, right up there and takes over and um, tries to install itself up on the, the mountaintop. Um, like it really does just kind of symbolize uh, Satan on that more uh, cosmic level. Right. And and not that, I mean, obviously the historical reality of what Edom did to the people of Judah in, after the, Babylonian conquest had happened is certainly in view, but I, I mean, I just the the overall flavor of this part of Ezekiel and some of the connections that you made. I love it with Revelation twelve. I think it invite us to you know think beyond what is being what's happening here historically yeah. and into that bigger biblical narrative of that constant you know battle where, where I mean, think of through Revelation twelve how the dragon is always trying to devour the child. Such, such that what's happening here with Edom attacking Judah when they're down is is a part of you know that the the work of the devil in the Old Testament to try to prevent the promise from from happening. I mean, it's it's all part mm-hmm. of that larger narrative. Oh yeah, and at least for me, that that helps me think about how this fits into you know our own context today and and how that you know the devil still is is fighting against all the things that God would do. Oh, a- absolutely. I think that we have to you know as as a Christians in 2021, we, we have to connect the dots here. Um, and, 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 and thank God there's a couple of, there's a couple of dots that we can connect and it's not just trying to, you know, connect with something that, you know, is like this ancient, um, and it's just right, uh, like a, a direct line from here to there. That's pretty challenging. It's pretty far removed. There's always cultural differences. We have to deal with the phrase, uh, you know, eventually I think we should connect it to Romans nine and deal with that. You know, Jacob, I love Esau, I hated bit. Um, but, but, you know, so it's, I mean, it's, there's a big difference, a big, a big gap, but, uh, you use revelation and you, and you see that, um, and, and revelation, um, uh, it's the way that I, uh, look at it, interpret it, you know, is dealing with some very historical realities as well, particularly, um, the, the, the current, uh, reigning dynasty, um, over the Roman empire, uh, the Caesars. And, and so what, what happens like, well, I mean, God, carries through what he says he will do in revelation um, and he makes them a perpetual desolation because uh that dynasty gives way um and there's there's not going to be any more um you i mean you get this stuff with uh nero at the end and everyone's um at the time is is like whispering about nero's going to return and nero faked his own death and or he's going to come back to life or something like that um, and there's a whole bunch of like emperors like who ha- occur um, who pop up like right after him, who kind of like pretend to be Nero or kind of like take his name or look like him, right? But no, um, Vespasian uh, Vespasian comes onto the scene and just does all of that in. And so, um, you know, there there is this uh, this repetition 
that you have this seemingly um, just, I, I don't know, like unstoppable enemy that just always comes back, right? The red dragon just won't leave us alone, kicks us while we're down, um, never goes away. Um, but you see, um, I mean, God dealt with Edom and God dealt with uh, the, the Caesars. Um, and, and even in our own time uh, where you know, we, we see things that feel like this, this recurrent um, you know, zombie red dragon that just keeps coming back. But um, in, in every form, God does actually render uh, final judgment and, and nothing stands up against that uh, when he's trying to protect his people. Uh, and, and that is the gospel from this text. And we're going to keep connecting those dots on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Ezekiel chapter 35 with Pastor A.J. Espinoza. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, November 4th. We are studying Ezekiel chapter 35, verses 1 to 15, with Pastor A.J. Espinoza. He serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California. Pastor Espinoza, prior to the break, we were talking about verses 1 through 9, and there's more still to look at, but I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of the chapter for us today. So we're picking up again at Ezekiel 35, verse 10. Mm -hmm. Because you said, these two nations and these two countries shall be mine, and we will take possession of them, although the Lord was there. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will deal with you according to the anger and envy that you showed because of your hatred against them. And I will make myself known among them when I judge you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have heard all the revilings that you uttered against the mountains of Israel, saying, they are laid desolate, they are given us to devour. And you magnified yourselves against me with your mouth, and multiplied your words against me. I heard it. Thus says the Lord God, While the whole earth rejoices, I will make you desolate, as you rejoiced over the inheritance of the house of Israel, because it was desolate, so I will deal with you. You shall be desolate, Mount Seir, and all Edom, all of it. Then they will know that I am the Lord." That's the rest of Ezekiel chapter 35 for us this morning. Pastor Espinoza, some of the ways that the Lord speaks there, particularly in verses 13 and following, I do, I do think bring to mind a phrase that you mentioned earlier from the book of Romans, which I believe is a quote from the Old Testament elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. How does, how does that apply to this text? Right, because it's interesting to compare you have in chapter 9 of Romans uh, th this talking about Jacob and Esau, and the explanation seems to be, 
well, even before they were born, God just decided he was going to like Jacob and didn't care for Esau very much. Uh, you know, but here in Ezekiel 35, um, you, you seem to have, well, you know, these are my people. I made them promises. Um, and then you guys are just, you know, wantonly uh, violent and greedy, um, you know, irreverent. You know, so it, it's kind of a, a weird juxtaposition at first glance because it seems like Ezekiel 35, it's like full of like reasons and justice and it kind of makes sense of it. Whereas in, in Romans 9, it seems like, well, it's just because you didn't like him. Um, <laughs> just didn't care for that guy. Uh, but, but I think that, uh, as you mentioned, uh, one of the key things, uh, for me, like it's, it's something that's just very helpful. Um, like you were saying, it, it's from the old Testament. It's from, it's from Malachi, uh, when, when, uh, Paul there is, is quoting or translating into Greek. He says, Jacob, I love, but Esau, I hate it. And, and, and the Hebrew there, um, that Paul's translating, it doesn't mean, you know, I just didn't like this one guy and I liked the other guy. Uh, no, it means uh, I allied myself with Jacob and made Esau my enemy. Um, which, of course, <laughs> if you if you follow the, the long story of uh, Israel and Edom, if you're going to ally yourself with uh, with Jacob, of course you're going to be Esau's enemy because Esau keeps attacking, and so you're going to have to fight him if if you're if you're Jacob's ally, right? Um, so, so the, the, the point is, is not like, well, I just decided from the beginning of time that I was going to, you know, condemn, um, all the Edomites to hell. That's, that's not even what's being said there. Um, the point is just simply that, that God's, uh, grace is really that just undeserved grace that's freely given. No one's entitled to it. And so, um, that's true in the New Testament, and that's true in the Old Testament, is, is Paul's point there. Um, and so Paul actually compliments uh, what we're talking about here in Ezekiel 35, that um, it's always, always, always been this way. That, you know, even in the Old Testament, um, it, you know, basically God's like, hey, you know, it's been a long time since the, the younger son ever got the inheritance. Uh, you know, I don't want people to go on thinking that they're just entitled to this, like, you know, they, they own it. I need to remind them that it is from me. And so, you know, God has rules and norms. Um, you know, like the firstborn gets the inheritance, um, or, you know, uh, just upright people are rewarded. Right. But every once in a while, he allows a reversal, like, uh, Jacob inherits instead of Esau or Job suffers instead of being rewarded. Um, and, and he, he does these reversals every once in a while, seemingly, to remind us that it all really is from him by grace. No one ever just owns this stuff. Um, and, and that I think takes us back to our text uh, where, you know, it says, um, but, but, uh, but the Lord was there. Right. Right. Well, and I mean, because yeah, so no one, no one ever owns this stuff. It's all a gift from God. The inheritance that was given to Jacob instead of to Esau was entirely God's grace and Esau, as as the man, rejected that, and now his his descendants, Edom, they also reject that. And I do think, I mean, this this idea of ownership, and and I think it's mine. I'm going to possess yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Comes through very strongly in verse ten. You know, they this is the Lord quoting what Edom was saying in the aftermath right. of Judah's downfall. 
they were saying, oh, look, these two nations, so Israel and Judah, these two countries shall be mine and we will take possession of them. They, they think now that Babylon has come and you know, kind of finished the job, Israel is left desolate, then, hey, we can have it. But the Lord makes the big point, but I was really there. And that's that's ultimately the offense is that they're taking from the Lord. Their offense is against the Lord, not just against Israel and Judah. I like, I like that translation that you just gave. Where did that come from? I was I'm really just, there. Oh, I, I, well, that was just me paraphrasing the ESV. <laughs> oh, no, but see, no, but that's actually a, a better translation than the ESV because uh, the, the word order there, right? It's, um, but Yahweh there was, right? So so the emphasis is on the verb, like so like you were saying, really was there, was there, was there in fact. Um, so, so it's really uh, demonstrating that uh, because, like, like you said, this is a quote because we, we sometimes forget. But even though these are described as different nations and countries, they're all they all basically speak the same Canaanite language, and they would have been able to understand each other and basically quote each other. Um, but, 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 so th- they think like, oh, well, it's just you know, slim pickings or, or uh, not slim pickings, rather, but but ripe for the picking, right? Like, uh, like it's just kind of you know, nothing standing in our way. Uh, but, but no, you're overlooking, you know, like. God, who in fact really is there and really is the one who is uh, in possession of all of this stuff here. I mean, and that gets us back uh, to that refrain that repeats in verse 12, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So, I mean, it, it really is um, this this uh, judgment against their their great presumption um, and, and arrogance, which, I mean, I mean, is the same arrogance and presumption that required uh you know babylon even to be punished well you know what strikes me about that phrase again as the esv translates although the lord was there the lord saying i was really there what strikes me is that when you read through the book of ezekiel particularly my mind goes back to verse or chapters 8 through 11 where the lord you know leaves the temple in stages and so i mean on, on the one hand you have the lord telling his people in the first part of the book, look, you, you think you can kind of use me as this sort of magic charm or insurance policy, right? As long as the temple's there, we're good. Well, I'll, I'll show you that that's not the case. You, you too need to live by grace through faith to use those reformation terms. Mm-hmm. But, and it seems, so what's going on with Edom is they've missed the point of what the Lord was doing. They, I mean, you go, I think this relates to what we were talking about toward the beginning of the program and, and the idea of Mount Seir and this being a battle of, of competing gods that the people of Edom have seen the Babylonian conquest and, and they're thinking, well, that means that the Lord must be not all that powerful. He's left the the land, but they've, they've missed the point, which, and you keep bringing this out and I really appreciate it. It's the whole point of, of all the things that the Lord is doing in the book of Ezekiel in Judah to these foreign nations is so that people would know that he's the Lord. And, and Edom has looked upon this Babylonian conquest and totally misinterpreted it. They think, oh, look, the land is ours for the taking, but they've missed the fact that the Lord is the one at work here to bring his people to repentance and to show all nations who he is, that he's the Lord, the God over all, ultimately to call them, too, to repentance and faith. Yeah, no, that, that, that's that's right. And, and um, I, I mean, in that phrase, too, there, um, you know, like, and, and you will— and you will know um, that that I am the Lord. It's um, it, it's it's interesting um, be, because the the phrase 
the verb there for for knowing it's like a a sense of like consequence like um you know like and as a result um you you will you will know not not kind of just like a future like you know like oh you're gonna know buddy like but but like and, and so then you, you you know um and and then it's not like you know um like well, like like I am the Lord. Like like it was some kind of like you know like who's the Lord? Is it is it this guy that guy? Because we got to remember like you know the Lord there, um, in all caps in the ESV. That's that's Yahweh, um, and and so really it's just it's just saying like really so you know that the God of Israel um, is not just this like little God, um, but he's the big one because uh, you know Yahweh right like the full. Uh, expanded form of that name is, you know, Yahweh Sabaoth, you know, Yahweh of armies, um, of hosts, the idea that he's the one who's in control of all of them, like all of the, like all of the, the, the gods with the lowercase g, all of the, the angels, all the powers and principalities, um, that he's the guy. Um, so yeah, 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 ab- absolutely. Like some very, uh, you know, big stuff in these little, in these little phrases. Well, let, let's try to take some of these little phrases in this big stuff that's happening with Edom and Israel in, you know, the 500s BC and, and bring it to, to our context. How do, I mean, you know, the boast of Edom that we see in verse 10, and then again, there's another boast of Edom in verse, uh, let's see, this verse 12, the, the mountains of Israel are laid desolate. They're given us to devour these sort of boasts against the Lord that we see Edom bringing out and then the Lord's response, how do we see those in, in our world still today? Well, I, I mean, I feel like, I feel like I see that, um, in our own context. Um, you know, so I'm just thinking about, you know, so, you know, it's, you know, October, 2021, I feel like we're in a situation in our own country where we there's a there's a lot of a i think a sense that if we just uh throw enough money um at a problem uh you know like for instance like the democrats are are wrangling over uh a big you know well multiple gigantic spending bills and i'm not saying anything about you know the contents of them i mean because there are in fact i think some very good things in there um among other things um, but there is a little bit of a sense of like, well, if we just kind of throw enough money at a problem, like it'll all be solved. Or if we just kind of use our technology enough, you know, if we just like plugged everything into a computer, um, if we just kind of like put our scientists in charge, if we just, um, you, you know, like I, th- I think we have a, a, this, uh, this kind of presumption, you know, or like, I don't know what, if we, if we just, you know, um, you know, got rid of like all the other people of the other political party, or if we just seceded, or I don't know why. I, I think there's like a lot of people these days who who have this this anger, feel this ire, but on the other side of it is this presumption that they basically have the ace up their sleeve, that they they know the silver bullet that would solve all the problems, and. That that's presumptuous. It's extremely presumptuous because God's here saying like there is no silver bullet, guys. The silver bullet only worked last time because uh, I was the one aiming it, uh, because I allowed it to. Um, there is no sil- silver bullet that gives prosperity and solves all the problems. It's not. It's not your technology. It's not your wisdom. It's not your knowledge. It's not your 
uh, it's not even like your your old you know old time traditional uh, values. Um, it's it's me, and without me, uh, that stuff can all go terribly wrong. Still, so um, I, I think I, I think it can it can end up getting aimed at us uh, as a little bit of a word of law. Um, but I do think that also there's a, a word of gospel that can be applied to us as well. Sure, and I, let me let me just briefly, because I, I think what I'm hearing you say applies particularly to what's there in verse 13, where the Lord tells Edom, you magnified yourselves against me with your mouth and multiplied your words against me. I heard it. That the, the temptation for all of us, when we see, you know, disaster or, you know, these great conquests, things like we what's here in Ezekiel 35 in, in his context, the temptation for us is to think that it's not a call to repentance or to not yeah. hear God's call to repentance. And and when we don't hear God's call to repentance, then this kind of presumption comes up and we end up attacking the Lord. We end up attacking his people instead of you know falling down in repentance and humility and recognizing that the solution to these things, it doesn't lie within us and our expertise. And, and you know, I mean, because those things <laughs> tend toward bloodshed, as we've seen the people of Edom engage in here, this yeah. perpetual enmity, rather than, you know, ally, allying ourselves against the Lord, he would call us to, to hear his call to repentance, to throw ourselves upon his mercy. I mean, and that, you know, that connects to the book of Jeremiah, the Lamentations that we've been reading, these minor prophets. We've been in the Old Testament on Sharp Ryan for quite some time. Mm-hmm. I mean, over and over again, as, as you see the Lord working in history, I mean, how often have his own people, much less these foreign nations, you know, missed what he was doing in calling them to repentance, to come back to himself, and instead trying to, you know, whatever that presumption looked like, that, that was the route they chose, and instead, it's always the call back to him to return yeah. to the Lord in repentance. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's well said. I mean, you know, I, I think people, you know, have joked for some time now, like, oh, you know, like, you know, the, like, like, like you know, like, you know, what, what, like 2018 or 2019, I, I forget, like, it feels like every year is, is now the new worst year of all time, but like, it's but, you know, it's like, when, when does it, you know, it's like, we go from this to that to the, you know, the next thing, right? Like, why, you know, but like, I, I think there is something to that, um, you know, without saying that, like, you know, we can just, you know, read God like a book or anything like that. So you got to like, you know, measure it. But um, there does seem to be something that, it's like if we don't kind of get the first wake up call, like God just kind of keeps letting the alarm get louder. Um, you know, like if we if we miss the call to repentance, he's like, OK, I guess I need to turn up the volume then. So you you get this, you know, not that he's like causing it, but it's just um, he's not intervening. He's not he's not stopping it because, I mean, this is exactly what happens when God kind of backs away a little bit, when when, when God just takes the the shade um, of, of his gracious wings uh, off and we start to feel the scorching sun that's there all the time and we just take it for granted. We got it made in the shade and he's like, okay, no, no, it's it's me. I'm the shade. Um, so I think there is a little bit of that going on here that it's just like, it just seems like these huge problems worldwide, you know, pandemic shortages, et cetera. It's, it's like, when are we going to understand that we need to repent and it's not just these are all just problems that you know we'll we'll be able to get ourselves out of 
I mean, my in, in conversations like these and what's going on here in Ezekiel 35, my mind always goes to the way Jesus talks in Luke 13, where, you know, the people come to him and want to talk about the Galileans whose, whose blood right. Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And, and Jesus says, you think they were worse sinners? I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. That, And again, like, and well cautioned, you know, we want to be careful to not say things that God has not revealed to us. That's where Luke 13 comes in very handy, that, you know, whether it is a, a man-made disaster or what we might call a natural disaster, Jesus would, would tell us, you know, what, what should we do from that? Repent, repent. And, and if we don't, we're, we're missing that, that wake-up call. And I, yeah, so, I mean, I think, I think that those words from Jesus also apply. We got about five and a half minutes here, Pastor Espinosa, and I know you said, you think there's gospel here too? And we've, we've kind of touched a little bit already, you know, what that, the reason this fits here is because in order for there to be gospel for the people of God, the Lord must deal with their enemies. And so he is very clearly dealing with the enemies here. Maybe that's what you're going to bring out, but what, what else do you see here in terms of gospel? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, you know, so you can see on the one hand, like we kind of maybe fit in with like, you know, the presumption of Edom. But on the other hand, um, you know, we can definitely see ourselves as the people of God who are the ones who are getting kicked while we're down. Um, that, you know, like we've already, we've already experienced, uh, a kind of desolation, um, uh, in being laid waste. And, and yet the enemies just keep coming, um, and, and seem to just rub salt in, in the wound or, um, you know, in chapter like 34, the previous one, uh, the talking about like the corrupt rulers, the corrupt shepherds. Um, I think, I think a lot of, I think everybody at this point, like, especially in our country feels like. There, there is an elite, whether it's, um, you know, in government or it's like the, the billionaires or it's, you know, to kind of take your pick, you know, deep state and people, different ways of talking about this. But like um, there's kind of multiple angles and it, and it feels like there are just these these uh, these people who are in charge who just you, you can't move them. You can't get rid of them. And and there's there's a corruption that's just becoming, uh, I mean, more and more you know, apparent. Um, I mean, recently there was that big leak about um, all the tax evasion that they're doing like offshore. And it's sort of like, well, what can you do about it actually? Like you just, uh, you know, nothing. And you sort of get this this sense that there are just, uh, I think there's a, there's a sense of a little bit of hopelessness out there that there's just these people who are in charge that just, there's nothing you can do. Um, and, and so I think we can identify with with that on that side and, and feel a lot like the people of Israel, But but look at what God has done, you know, like, Israel was was crushed uh, by Assyria and then Babylon and then you know picked at to death by Edom and it seems like nothing ever was going to stop that um, you know and then and what did what did God do God took you know Alexander the Great out of nowhere you know this this young like you know twenty year old dude and just steamrolled all of it you know so I mean it's just you just don't know what God can do. Um, I mean, I mean, he can, he can save from any and every situation. Um, there is no need for despair. Um, let us repent. Let's worship God. Let's, let's get back to just being the people of God, loving our families and taking care of each other and trust that. Yeah. You know, even if we can't even see any way out, if our backs are up against the Red Sea here, um, our God has done this for us again and again, and he'll do it. Pastor Espinoza, with all of that in mind, and again, about two and a half minutes here, how then does Ezekiel 35 connect us to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and what we have seen God do in him? 
Well, I mean, he he is the good shepherd. He is the the seed of Abraham, the descendant of Jacob, who has the promise, the inheritance, who is the heir to David's throne, um, who was installed um, when he was raised from the dead, and and that that ultimate victory that he has, that he was raised from the dead and lives and reigns to all eternity. I mean that that really shows us that even the the worst conceivable enemy, which is you know death and sin in our own sinful nature, that is just constantly trying to ruin everything. The, the enemy that we can't defeat because it's ourselves, right? Um, that God has even dealt with that ultimate enemy, the, you know the the ultimate red dragon that just keeps coming back and destroying things. Um, yeah, God has even dealt with our own sinful nature in his son, Jesus Christ. So uh, to, to look at that and to, to, to see how, you know, the one who looked totally desolate, who was laid bare, uh, you know, given to the nations to devour when he was on the cross, um, you know, that he uh, has the ultimate reversal in his resurrection. I mean, th there's no more powerful deposit or guarantee that God could give us uh, that, in fact, he is faithful to his promises and is strong to save from every enemy. Pastor A.J. Espinoza is pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California, helping us today with Ezekiel chapter 35, verses 1 to 15. Pastor Espinoza, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks for having me, Pastor Apple. Looking forward to next time. The people of Edom boasted against the Lord. They took advantage of the people of God while they were down, and the Lord promises judgment upon these enemies of Israel. Dear Christian, when your enemies attack you, whether it is sin, death, the devil, or any enemy, the Lord sees, the Lord knows, and he has defeated your enemies in his son, Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection. And that resurrection awaits you on the last day when our Lord returns in glory. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel, comments on the series, we'd love to hear from you. Send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send up to a 60-second message to us. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.